0: Cloud Break, Chapter 4, Whale Song When it came to tracking down this mother whale, Estelle had developed a unique seeking technique. She would turn on her propulsion full speed for several minutes, then shut it off abruptly. For 10 or 15 seconds, she would once again float motionless until she was satisfied that she had enough of the whale's song to recalibrate her route. Estelle had been doing this for several hours, and she could feel the turbulent tongues of underwater current that indicated that one was getting within the outer reach of the great storm. These currents were much further out than the last time she had been in these waters, and Estelle had to adjust her course several times to stay at a safe distance. The mother whale was close now, not more than 100 miles away. Oddly, she was not calling to the other members of her pod. She simply kept repeating a short segment of whale song. It was the same melody that Estelle's mother had sung to her as a child, and she had learned it from her mother, who had no doubt learned it from this whale. Every 50 miles or so, Estelle left a pea-sized emitter, essentially a trail of breadcrumbs for the harvesting craft, should the search be successful. Estelle felt her excitement grow. She had not heard the mother whale in months, let alone seen her. The way in which the whale was communicating was consistent with the larger blooms that Estelle had claimed in the period before this most recent drought. She was not concerned about the other sea folk seekers. The village clusters worked closely together, and algal harvests were shared more or less equally between them. She did worry about the sky people, however, given how far she had gone already and the advantage and speed of the sky folk sparrows. She thought of her family, the feel of their loving faces, increasingly thin in these days of hunger. She paused for another recalibration, then switched her propulsion system on once again. Half a mile above the surface of the water, Orion gradually began to level out, Peter felt a wave of panic, realizing that he had not had time to make sure that his telescoping claiming rod was in its holster. Anna had just cleaned and oiled the harness, and he typically did a full inventory before taking Orion out on a search. For a bloom to be claimed, the tip of the rod had to make contact with algae in order to send a signal back to officially register the claim. The crushing G forces pressed Peter against the saddle as Orion pulled out of the freefall. As soon as the albatross had completed the maneuver, Peter pulled his head out of the aerodynamic saddle compartment and lunged for the claiming rod holster. Not only was the rod in its place, Anna had programmed a message into it that appeared in Peter's goggles the moment his glove touched the implement. Another claim for Peter, greatest seeker in all of the Skylands. He smiled as he pulled the implement out and readied himself to press the telescope button. The bloom had indeed spread, but not as quickly as Peter had anticipated. The pull of the great storm seemed to be inhibiting the usually rapid algal growth. Moreover, the bloom was uncomfortably close to the storm itself. If Peter waited for the bloom to spread, a few sparrows were almost certain to join him and fight him for the claim. Seekers of the old school simply did not have the technology and weaponry to compete effectively with sparrows. The old school relied upon arriving first and uncontested. Just then, Peter thought of his grandfather. Had he faced a similarly wrenching choice that fateful day he disappeared? Peter reflexively felt for the circular stone on his chest under his jumpsuit. Well, old boy, this might be the end of us, but are you with me? The albatross picked up speed, flying directly at the storm. The green of the bloom was perhaps still a mile away, and Orion flew about 200 feet above the surface of the ocean. Peter's surprise was complete when the surface half a mile to his left seemed to explode in a lustrous yellow-green. It was a great whale, the first Peter had ever seen alive. He had just once seen a dead juvenile hauled up to the Feeban airfield after a great hunt. Its gray-blue skin was not yet coated with the algae that covered adult whales like a second skin. This whale was enormous and brilliantly green from nose to flukes. Peter could not take his eyes off the animal. The common belief among the sky people was that whales were hideous monstrosities. But as Peter watched mesmerized from his saddle as the whale breached again and again, he simply smiled with the thought, I have never seen anything so beautiful in my entire life. When Estelle turned off the propulsion switch, she was so close to the outer reaches of the storm that it was difficult for her to get her bearings and pick up the song of the mother whale. It took her a moment to realize that the whale was no longer singing. It was breaching. Even 20 miles away, Estelle could feel the powerful pulsations of the animal's great body slamming again and again against the surface of the water. This was highly unusual behavior for a whale near a bloom. A whale breaching in a cloud break was practically announcing itself to the Sky People's sparrows with their harpoon cannons that could soon be arriving on the scene if they hadn't already. "'What are you doing, Mother Whale?' Estelle said aloud as she turned her propulsion system back on and sped towards the sound of the breaches. Still in a state of awe, a thought flashed in Peter's mind that the value of this huge whale was potentially ten times that of any claiming bonus he could possibly receive, even for this once-in-a-lifetime bloom. He was disgusted with himself that the thought of killing this most majestic animal could even occur to him. Orion, he messaged, I think we should hold off at least until the bloom comes out another quarter mile. Why don't we go take a closer look at the big fish?" Orion banked left, and as he did so, Peter's peripheral vision caught a brief flash near the edge of the cloud break. The sparrow screamed out of the cloud at such speed that Peter thought the seeker would plunge headlong into the wall of the great storm. The craft turned sharply and gained altitude before disappearing once again into the cloud. He flew so close by Peter and Orion that Peter could see the doors of the harpoon gun compartment opening. He's going to circle back and go for the whale, Orion. If we dive bomb our big fish, maybe she'll get the hint and dive out of harpoon range. Orion tucked his wings once again and headed directly for the whale. But instead of diving as they approached, she breached once again, nearly knocking Orion out of the sky. Whoa, what are you doing, you crazy fish? You're going to get yourself killed. Peter gestured to himself. Orion, he messaged. Let's take another dive to drive her below. That sparrow is going to be back any second. Just then, the sparrow emerged flying just feet above the surface. Peter watched aghast as a wisp of smoke emerged from the harpoon cannon. The seeker was flying directly towards the whale. The seeker clearly was not expecting what happened next. The enormous animal breached once again crimson blood shooting out of her flank. The sparrow tried to swerve to avoid hitting the whale, but it was too late. The craft clipped one of the whale's great flippers before careening into the water. Estelle had set her propulsion at mid-level as she approached the whale. She could not understand why it was not only breaching, but doing so at a faster and faster rate It almost seemed as if the mother whale was in a frenzy. And then when she was not more than a mile away, there was the sound of one last breach and then an enormous reverberation, as if there had been an explosion. Estelle quickened her pace, her heart pounding. She was so close to the surface now that her pale blue eyes sensed the light of the sun streaming through the cloud break and covering the surface with life-giving algae. But she had no thought of the epic bloom she had finally reached after a dozen hours of continuous swimming. She was desperate to find the mother whale that had guided her and her people for so long. It was not difficult to find her. As soon as the breaching stopped, the whale began singing again, the same short melody that had led Estelle all of this way. It was weaker now, and Estelle could sense that the whale was injured, Why was she not singing to her pod? Estelle wondered. Why this song? When she came upon the whale, Estelle found her at the surface of the water. She quickly swam all around her, feeling her great body, trying to assess what had happened. Estelle let out an anguished cry when she arrived at the right flipper. It had nearly been completely severed. Oh, dear mother whale, what has happened? Then she moved along the whale's body, and found the shaft of the harpoon protruding cruelly from the left flank. She quickly pulled out a small vial from her suit and released its contents near both wounds. But there was little chance that a coagulant designed to staunch wounds and men's suit fibers would be effective on this scale. Besides, Estelle knew that the Sky People had begun to lace their harpoons with a poison that paralyzed the animal without killing it so as to keep the meat fresh during transport. She had to get the harpoon out as quickly as possible if the whale were to stand any chance of survival. The harpoon's barbed head had only penetrated 18 inches into the whale's blubber, so Estelle removed her laser knife from its sheath on her thigh and began to cut away layer after layer. I'm sorry, she sobbed as she cut. I'm so sorry. The whale was quite still and continued to sing the song that Estelle had heard since her birth. Oh, no, 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 you fool. You fool, fool, fool. Peter's glove hand signed to no one. Orion, circle back over the whale. I want to see what this devil did to her. Orion spread his wings and brought them back to the whale in a wide arc. As they passed more slowly overhead, Peter could see clearly the scarlet blood pouring from the flipper and the shaft of the harpoon protruding from the whale's side. You fool, you damned fool. Peter felt hot tears streaming down his cheeks. Orion, that poor whale is going to get paralyzed by that damned harpoon. It's going to suffer until it reaches Gabilon, or until it bleeds out. The bird made a subtle motion with its head, down and to the right. It took Peter a moment to surmise what the bird meant. No, no, I, I, I couldn't do that, Orion. I couldn't. Peter looked down to the base of his saddle, where a long, slender container held a nearly 200-year-old harpoon that, as far as Peter knew, had never been used. Orion continued to circle above the whale, and Peter felt sickened as he watched the water darken with the animal's blood. He calculated how long it would take for the Gabalon harvest ship to arrive, how clumsily the whale would be handled by men who had probably never even seen a whale before, let alone transported and butchered one. The thought of the whale having to endure all of this while still alive, was even more intolerable than the thought that he, Peter, would have to play the role of executioner. He hesitated for several more minutes before messaging, you're right, old friend, it can't be avoided. To Estelle's surprise, The coagulant seemed to be staunching the blood flow from the whale's flipper. She worked feverishly to remove the harpoon, but the thickness and toughness of the whale's blubber that had prevented the harpoon from penetrating any further also made extracting the shaft incredibly difficult. The whale kept singing its simple melody, and Estelle turned on her sound amplifier and began humming the tune along with her. She was so focused on her work that she did not notice how the whale had rotated itself such that her left flank was right at the water's surface, facing skyward. Estelle was so absorbed, in fact, that she did not notice that for the first time in her entire life, she was above the surface of the great ocean. In that moment, harmonizing with the great mother whale, she felt as if all the boundaries were dissolving, between herself and the whale, between water and sky, light and dark, past and future. Cloudbreak is written and performed by me, Charles Morse, and was created in collaboration with Elena Russell.